0: Hey Bridgewater, I'm excited to get to talk to you today. At the beginning of this year, I was journaling, thinking about 2022 and wanting to write down things I got to watch God do at Bridgewater Church. There were some exciting moments. Stories of life change flooded my mind. I remembered multiple conversations with people who were taking their next steps as they followed Jesus. I thought of the people I watched be baptized. Memories of every Bridgewater campus filled my mind. None of those things were difficult for me to record. But what I have been finding difficult is articulating what God did at Bridgewater in 2022 in a way that does it justice. He has simply blown me away this last year. He's worked through you. He's worked in you too. Much, maybe even most of what happened in and through Bridgewater is difficult to quantify. A lot of it probably escapes our notice but what we have been able to track reveals to us that God has been working in huge ways here. And I want you to know that your involvement in Bridgewater Church is making a difference. Each of us, I think, have ways of determining whether what we're doing is worthwhile. We all wanna know that we aren't wasting our time. And because you're attending church online or in person today, I'm guessing you probably either think your involvement here is worth it, or you're really hoping it turns out to be. So let's consider for a moment what it would take for you to deem your investment in Bridgewater Church as worthwhile. What would you want out of your church involvement? To see a church that loves and serves its community? A church that's generous with its resources? A church that children love to attend? A church that teaches the Bible? A church where people's lives are changed? And even if all those things were true and they were happening, What about the results? How would we even know all of our efforts are worth it? What would it take for you to call the effort worthwhile? I think we'd all want to see at least some results, right? We'd want there to be something to show for the time, energy and resources that were used up in the effort. So I invite you to listen to what God did at Bridgewater in the past year alone. And I'd ask you to consider whether or not these statistics indicate that God is at work here and whether what we're doing is worth our investment. Let me talk about volunteerism. Did you know that more than 38% of our attenders serve in some capacity? Let me talk about generosity. Over $17,000 was given away out of our Benevolence Fund alone. That doesn't include an additional $45,000 to four different organizations or special missions projects and it doesn't even mention another $100,000 given to missionaries that we regularly support. In terms of community and togetherness, we averaged 472 adults in small groups each week with 66 different groups meeting. Let me talk about kids ministry. Maybe it'll blow your mind to know that 1,091 individual kids attended Bridgewater in 2022, 31 of them becoming followers of Jesus. How about student ministries? Hundreds of students came out to our student ministries and 23 of them made Jesus their forgiver and leader with another 17 taking the next step of baptism. In terms of Sunday morning service attendance, we averaged 1,604 people across our campuses. This is up from 1,415 in 2021, which represents 12.6% growth. In 2022, we saw 70 people baptized and 80 people make Jesus their forgiver and leader. What's interesting is that these are just the things that we can track. It doesn't even include the invisible efforts, conversations, and prayers of God's people at Bridgewater. Countless other next steps have been taken in areas of personal growth, marriages, parent and child relationships, workplace influence, and spiritual conversations. It's clear to me that God has done incredible things in and through Bridgewater Church. And it brings us as your leaders great joy and causes us to give thanks to God for all he's done. And all of this reminds me of what Paul wrote to the Philippian church as he thought of them. They became followers of Jesus and then shared in the work of spreading the good news about Jesus to the people in their world, while also financially supporting Paul in his efforts to tell people about Jesus. In his opening words, he both, looked back to what God had done while also looking ahead to what God would do. Here's what he says to them as he begins this letter. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus it's obvious that Paul saw their time, energy, and resources as worthwhile. And he wanted to assure them that what they were doing was in fact worth it. In verse three, Paul thanks God for them. The validation of his ministry was that people actually did respond to the gospel he preached and that they remained true to their faith. Any positive response to the gospel brought Paul joy and he's celebrating obvious signs that they had become followers of Jesus. And it seems Paul's thankfulness didn't waver. It was every time he remembered them. Paul turned each thought of them into praise for God. We also saw in verses four and five, that he prayed with joy and thankfulness because of their partnership in the gospel. The relationship between Paul and the church went deeper than human friendship. They had a bond that came from joining in the work of God in the world. Had it not been for the gospel, they wouldn't even have met. Beyond that, Because they financially assisted Paul, they contributed to the work of God in other places, becoming a part of his work wherever he went. And verse six reveals that Paul had every confidence that the work God had begun in saving them, he would continue to the end of the age. As followers of Jesus, they would continue to grow to be like Jesus until he returned. And in a similar way to that church, God is working here. He is moving. You are a witness to it or have been a part of it. And I do want to emphasize that it's one thing to be a witness to something, but being a part of it is next level. Just think of what could be accomplished if everyone who is currently attending got involved. What if everyone attending online or in person served in some capacity? What if every one of us gave financially? What if every one of us was regularly inviting their friends, family, and neighbors to church? What if each of us did our part to tell people in our world about Jesus? And what if we all consistently prayed for God to work in our church and communities? Wow. So please hear me on this. It is right and good to celebrate all God has done in 2022, but we need to keep going in 2023. And I truly believe the best is yet to come and that God is not done. And because of what Paul wrote to the Philippians, we can have confidence that God has not done, neither in his work in us, nor in his work through us. And who wouldn't want to be a part of a work of God like this? So this year, here are some new goals for us as a church. We are asking God to help us accomplish these things. We want to see 100 people become followers of Jesus. We want to see 100 people baptized. We are asking God to see a 15% increase in our service attendance. We are praying that God would give us a 15% increase in our giving as he provides more and better ministry opportunities. And we are asking that God would help us to see multiplication readiness in each ministry area at every Bridgewater campus. Who knows what places God might want us to reach into, and we want to be ready. Now, those were a lot of numbers, I understand. But we believe every number has a name, every name has a story, and every story matters to God. But what about you? What is one way you can get on board with what God is doing? Maybe it's through serving or praying. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's simply through sharing the good news of Jesus with people. We believe it's worth it. Changed lives are worth it. Watching God work is worth it. And God is worthy of our efforts as we work with him to make more and better disciples of Jesus. I'd invite you now to listen as your campus pastor comes before you to clarify what this may look like at your campus and outlines what opportunities lie ahead for you in 2023. God bless you.
1: Well, good morning and welcome to Bridgewater. If I have not gotten a chance to meet you yet, my name is Tim, I'm one of the pastors here, and we are so glad you're here. Like Brooke said earlier, this is gonna be a little bit of a different talk. It's gonna be more of a family, family conversation. And so if you're here for the first time or first time in a while, this is a No Guilt Sunday, all right? You just get to listen, check out what's going on. We'll talk about why we do what we do and a little bit about where I think we are going You know, one of the things that Josh said that really resonated with me is this. He said, every number has a name, every name has a story, and every story matters to God. To me, I I just love that to think of, you know, we do pay attention to numbers, and the idea is every single number does represent a person, and people matter to God. And if people matter to God, then people ought to matter to us. And so I just want to remind you of our mission here. Our mission at Bridgewater is we strive to make more and better disciples of Jesus. That's why we exist. So the question is, how are we doing? How are we doing with that? And what is our role in that? Well, let me give you a little bit of a recap over what's happened over the last few years. In 2020, we saw five people here in Conklin ask Jesus to be their forgiver and leader of their life. And six people were baptized. Then in 2021, we saw here in Conklin, eight people asked Jesus to be their forgiver and leader of their life. And seven people were baptized. Last year, we saw 15 people from Conklin ask Jesus to be their forgiver and leader of their life. And 10 people got baptized. That's incredible. I mean, that's no small thing that God is doing. And next Sunday, we have a baptism. We already have at least six people saying, hey, I'm going public with my faith through baptism. God is doing an incredible work, and I'm convinced that God is not done. He wants to do an incredible work, and I'm praying this year that God will change the lives of your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, and mine bless you. But in order to get to there, I want to I cast a little bit of vision. And when we do that, I want to go to Acts chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles or your device, go to Acts chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put the verses on the screen behind me. Acts is really the birth of the church. Jesus has died on the cross. He rose again. And now the disciples have started this brand new thing called the church. So take a look at what's going on in Acts chapter 15. I'll start in verse 1. It says, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be circumcised saved. Now, maybe it's your first Sunday, or you're new to the Bible, or you're new to church, and you just showed up, and you're like, oh, great. They're talking about circumcision. Welcome to Bridgewater. (laughs) Let me just give you a little bit of background here. You know, God decided he was going to work with this nation called Israel. And it wasn't because they were bigger, faster, or stronger. In fact, they were smaller and they were weaker. And God decided, I'm going to work with Israel because I want to. And in Genesis chapter 17, he says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. You are going to be my people and a sign or a picture of this covenant is going to be circumcision. So if you, in the Old Testament, if you wanted to follow God, you had to become a Jew first. And now all these Christians are saying, hey, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to be a, a believer, you've got to become a Jew first. You've got to become someone who is circumcised first, and then you can follow Jesus. And so take a look at what happens next in verse two. This brought... Paul and Barnabas into a sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem and see the apostles and elders about this question. So they have, they have a problem with this. They have a conflict here. They're, they're not sure about all of this. They want to know where is this going? Where did this come from? Look at what happens next in verse 3. The church sent them on their way And as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, Of our faith, of our Lord Jesus, that we are saved just as they are. So they're saying, look, it's not by any of these works, it's not by any of these things, it's by grace and it's by faith that you come to Jesus. And then James, the half brother of Jesus, the lead pastor of Jerusalem, he stands up in verse 11, he starts talking. Look at what James says. In verse 19, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So what they decided is, okay, don't make the Gentiles have surgery to come and follow Jesus. Let's not make it difficult. Let's remove every obstacle, every hindrance, everything that we can, remove it. So that if they want to turn to Jesus, they can. So we're not going to change the message. We're going to continue to preach the gospel, but we're going to change the method just a little bit. Don't make them get surgery to follow God. So here at Bridgewater, if I look at this and I go, yes, let's not make it difficult for anybody to follow Jesus. So all of that's going on. Then take a look at what happens in chapter 16. Chapter 16, Paul has been discipling this young man named Timothy, and Timothy comes from a biracial marriage. His mom is Jewish, and his dad is Greek. His mom is a believer, and his dad is not. And so Paul comes to this young man. He's been discipling him. He wants to bring him on his journey with him to help share the gospel, to teach others about Jesus. So here we are in Acts chapter 16. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him. Wait, what? Paul, weren't you there in chapter 15 when they just said, let's not make it difficult for anyone to follow God? Weren't you there when, when we said, like, let's not make anybody have surgery to turn to Jesus? Why did he do this? Because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek, as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So they've decided, we don't want to make it difficult for Gentiles to turn to God. So let's not make them get surgery. And then on the other hand, Paul does what with Timothy? He makes them have surgery because he knows that They're going to be interacting with these Jews and they're going to talk to Timothy and they're going to say, Timothy, your mom is Jewish. Your dad isn't. Are you Jewish? Are you circumcised? And if Timothy says no, they're going to shut down and they're not going to listen to a word he says. And so they don't want to make it difficult. So they're going to remove every hindrance so that people can turn to God. And notice what happens when they remove all the obstacles so that people can turn to God. Look at verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they grew daily in numbers. There was more and better disciples. That when they decided, we're not going to make it difficult for anybody to turn to God. We're not going to water down the gospel. We're going to keep preaching about Jesus. We're going to keep talking about sin. We're going to keep talking about the resurrection. But we're going to change our method. The church was strengthened in their faith, and they grew daily in numbers. And that's what we're going after. Here at Bridgewater, we don't want to make it difficult for anybody to come to Jesus. We're not going to change the message, but. The way we go about church is different. It looks different. It feels different than a lot of other churches. And that is on purpose because we want people to come and follow Jesus. We're going to take away every single barrier. Here at Bridgewater, we're really pursuing four different targets. Let me show you the first target. The first one is the new believer. I believe that if someone asks Jesus to be their forgiver and leader of their life on Thursday, and then they show up here on Sunday, I want them to come, feel loved, feel known, and connect with what God is doing. I mean, they're they're a brand new creation. The Holy Spirit lives inside of them. And if they don't connect to God, that's not his fault. That's our fault. And so we try to create an atmosphere where we we remove all the obstacles so that a new believer can come. They can hear about God. They can learn and they can grow. The second target is an almost believer. That's the person who comes and they're investigating Christianity. They have questions about faith. Maybe you've been praying for them. You've been talking to them. You've been having spiritual conversations and they're here and they're just trying to figure this thing out. I want them to say, you know what, Tim, I'm not really sure about this Jesus, but what you said made sense. I'm not really sure if, if I really believe that Jesus is the Savior or all this stuff about the Bible being real, but, man, I felt loved on. I felt connected, and that was a really good experience. I want to come back. Our next target is, is an eighth grader. That, that We want eighth graders, we want middle schoolers to be able to come to a service and go, you know what, I understood what they were talking about. That made sense. So many churches that I've been a part of, that I've attended, They make it so difficult that it's so academic. It's so deep. Even if you have a PhD, you're like, huh, that was interesting. I have no idea what he said. And I have no idea what to do. And I hope every Sunday, even when our middle schoolers show up, they go, you know what? I understood what Tim was talking about. I understood what the Bible was saying, and I know what to do. Not that we're going to water it down. But we want to make it easy for people to walk in here and go, I got it. Our next target is a mature believer. That we want every person who comes in here to know what their next step is, no matter where they are on their spiritual journey. And so these are our four targets. And they're in this order on purpose. Because I believe that if I go after the new believer and the almost believer, we'll catch everybody else. We'll include them. But I think that if we flip it around and we make the mature believer the primary target, we will indirectly leave out everybody else. And I don't want this to be a church where it's a country club, where you have to wear certain clothes, dress a certain way, know certain songs, know the lingo, know the, the vernacular to fit in. I want everybody who walks in these doors to walk in here and go, you know what? No matter where I am on here, I go, hmm, I fit, I connect. I feel welcomed, I feel loved. I feel like I understand what's going on. I feel like I know what to do. We want to remove every single obstacle for the new believer to connect with God. We want to remove every single obstacle for the almost believer to connect with God. Because if we don't connect, Here's what will happen. The new believer, they'll stop attending. If we don't connect with the almost believer, they won't believe. If we don't connect with the eighth grader, they'll be bored. They'll be counting lights, they'll be counting chairs, they'll be all over the place. Not that I'm here to entertain them, but I want them to understand who God is. The mature believer, they'll complain. Out of these four groups, you know who I will hear from the most? It's the mature believer. And look, if you have questions, if you have concerns, if you have complaints, please email me. Email me at laneb at (laughs) bwater.org. I want all of your emails. I want to hear them. I will read them all. I'll look at them. It's really important to me. But the thing that Josh said is true. God's not done. God is doing an incredible work And I hope and I'm praying that Broome County would be the hardest place for people to get to hell from because we are so passionate about lost people. God's the one that's going to do the work. God's the one that's going to change people's lives. Not me, not you. But you and I are the instruments in his hands. We are the conduit in his hand. He wants to work in your life. We also want to be a church where your children and your grandchildren love to attend. I want to be a church where young families come here to connect. That's not a slight verse against anybody else, okay? I'm not even going to qualify what young is or what old is because I'll be in trouble. But here's what I know is true. Our church is just two generations from extinction. If we don't reach young families, we'll be in trouble. And we need families of all sizes, all ages, no matter how young or how old they are. If you're like, I'm not a young family, I'm not a young person, we need you. We need your leadership, we need your stability, we need you to come alongside these young families. You are important. Every single person who walks through those doors is important. But we want to move, remove all the barriers for everybody to come to know Christ. So how have we been doing? Well, a few months ago, we took a survey. And according to the survey, 57% of our campus invites others to church. 57% prays, invests, invites. That's good. That's up from last year. Last year, it was 54%. This year, 41 of us are involved in a small group. That's incredible. That's up. Last year, it was 38%. And 52% of us are serving. That's amazing. Because in most churches, 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. We have an incredible church here. And God is doing an amazing work. But imagine if that 57% who was praying, investing, inviting grew to 75%. Imagine what would happen then in Broome County. I want Broome County, Susquehanna, Susquehanna County to be the hardest places for people to get to hell from because you and me are praying, investing, inviting, sharing the gospel, being salt, being light in our work, our schools, our communities, our neighborhoods, our gyms, wherever it is we go, that we would be, have this white hot passion for people who are far from God. So here's my goals, but it's really in a way of application. Josh asked, what's one way that you can get involved? Here's a couple ways. Number one, prioritize the mission of reaching others above our own preferences. I know some of you have your own preferences about music. I know some of you have your own preferences on on what we would teach and how we would go about that. But we're not here for you. Remember the targets. We're trying to move all barriers for the new believer, the almost believer, the middle schooler, that we want to prioritize the mission of making more and better disciples. Number two, come early, park far, sit close, stay late. I want you to come early and interact with people. I want to create an atmosphere where people are, are feeling like they're welcomed, they're loved on, there's a feeling of anticipation. I want you to park far. Imagine you bring a friend or you invite somebody and the best parking spot available is up close. Now, look, if you're nine months pregnant, park close, okay? I don't want to deal with that. If you're able to park far, okay, if you're able, you know who you are. Sit close. Look, there's like two empty rows here. In some of our services, we pack it out and there's a family of four that comes and it is hard, then reed's walking them up and he's walking them and walking them and they're like am i gonna sit on stage i mean they're already paranoid it's their first time to come to church in a long time and all of a sudden there's nowhere to sit except for right here in front of tim sit close i I have not bitten anybody in a long time (laughs) and stay late talk to people that you don't know mingle with them if you don't know them or you forgot their name or you're like, they told me a long time ago, I don't want you to embarrass yourself. I don't want you to feel embarrassed. But here's what you do. You go up to them, you say, hey, how long have you been coming to Bridgewater? You don't have to ask them, is this your first Sunday? No, it's not my first Sunday. I've been coming here like 14 years. Just ask them, how long have you been coming to Bridgewater? And whether it's their first Sunday or their hundredth Sunday, they'll tell you. Just just remind me of your name. I forgot. And then you're in a conversation. Stay late. Talk to people. Number three, I'm looking for 30 people to pray towards more and better disciples. Here's my challenge to you. That that 30 of us would say, you know what? I'm going to prioritize the mission. I'm going to come early, park far, sit close, stay late. And I'm going to begin praying for more and better disciples disciples. So I'm going to give you a QR code. I want 30 people to say, you know what, Tim, I'm going to step up and I'm challenging 30 of us to sign up and say every month, I'm going to pray, I'm going to invest, and I'm going to invite somebody. One person a month. And for some of you, that's really scary. For some of you, you invite people all the time. For some of you, you're always talking about Jesus But I'm challenging you. Imagine what would happen in our neighborhoods, our communities, our schools, our workplaces, if just 30 of us began to pray, invest, invite. What might happen? I wonder what might happen if we prayed and moved. Let me pray with you. God, is clear that every number does have a name and every name does have a story and those people matter to you. And we know that they should matter to us and they do matter to us. Sometimes we don't have the courage to even talk to them about things that really matter. We talk to them about the weather and sports and work and family, but You've changed our life, changed our lives radically in a new way. Let us boldly go and talk to people about you. Pray that you would give us the courage and boldness to do that. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.